0: It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor, along with Rick Roaring, Each week, we take a look at sports topics locally, nationally. We get your questions on anything you want to ask, and we've had some really good ones here of late. Hopefully, we'll have some good ones again today. Um, and we continue to muddle our way through a summer, or actually a spring. We haven't hit summer yet; it's officially starting this weekend. We've muddled through a spring, and really, we've almost—it's—it's it's been a full spring season, Rick, of 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 no sports to to really watch. But we've somehow muddled through this podcast each week.
1: Yeah, you know, and and I, not that we have like the most impressive the impressive listenership or anything. Joe Rogan isn't looking behind him on the charts for us or anything at this point. But we have maintained the same amount of people listening basically uh since we started and it's more than zero believe it or not nice. so uh, shout out we, to you folks yeah we appreciate everyone for sticking with us people are still interacting on social media and email and dms and even on my xavier message board one of the ask any <laughs> questions came from for this week so uh it's awesome yeah we'll we'll get to it yes sir all right let's get to the topics what do we got rick well skinny we start with the sports story that just won't go away with all of the social movements going on in our country Colin Kaepernick is back on everyone's mind, and once again, people are calling for him to get his shot in the NFL, both Roger Goodell and, for some reason, Donald Trump have come out in the last few days and said they support a team signing him. Normally, this would feel like a total clickbait segment to me, and I'd totally detest talking about it, but it's actually taken on a bit of a life in Cincinnati because the Bengals are one of the teams who clearly need an experienced backup in the opinion of just about everyone around the league. Skinny, do you think the Bengals should look at signing Colin Kaepernick as a backup quarterback for Joe Burrow?
0: I don't, and here's why. Um, and, and I'm in that camp that thinks they do need a veteran. And to be clear, they've even uh, Zach Taylor told us what was it a month ago that they're sticking with the three guys they got. And I thought you made a really prudent point of of why that might be. That that listen, you know, it's it's they've they've heard one voice, and this way you don't get a distraction from somebody from the outside telling them something different. Um, but but I don't for a couple of things the main one being he doesn't suit what they want to do offensively. Um, you know, he's not a run-first quarterback, but part of Colin Kaepernick's strength, and we'll all agree, is that you can use him in the run game, and you should use him in the run game. And in his heyday in San Francisco, he was used in the run game. And, and the Bengals really don't have that. Now, do they have a design run or two for Joe Burrow? Probably. I mean, let's face it, they actually had a few design runs for Andy Dalton, right? It wasn't pretty, and it, it, it they didn't do it a whole lot, but they did have – Part of it was Andy running the read option um, very, very occasionally. And I'm sure they'll have some of that for Joe, too. Um, but uh, for, for, for Colin, I just – I don't think so because, A, they're not going to because of the reasons we've already outlined. They, they don't want to sign a veteran quarterback. They want to go with the guys they got. And, two, I just don't see how he fits their offense. The only other thing, too, is three and a – three – but it'll be almost four seasons, right, since he last played. He last played in 2016. There's a lot of – there's got to be a lot of rust there. And and I'll be honest, his last two years in the league, he wasn't all that good. He wasn't the guy who took San Francisco to a Super Bowl. Um, his last two years, the 49ers in games he started were 3-16. and 16. Blaine Gabbert went 4-9 and nine with San Francisco in the same time frame. Now, granted, those were terrible 49er teams. I'm, uh, it's not all on Colin Kaepernick, for goodness sakes. But um, he just wasn't the same guy. And now you're talking four years later – yeah I, I i think I pass, and it has nothing to do with with the social issues or or whatever attention he's going to bring uh, to your organization. I just uh, from a sure football standpoint, I don't think he fits
1: yeah like that's that's one of the things People always talk about the distraction aspect of this, and one, I never think that's actually an issue, um especially in the n f l where it's basically the w w e and the whole point of it is to create distraction after distraction after distraction after distraction and play it up in the media so I never buy into teams won't take him because he'll be a distraction. And in fact, I actually think the idea of Joe Burrow being able to play out his rookie season and his rookie camp while everyone is focusing on another quarterback for other reasons might actually be a great thing for him. Like someone taking some of the attention off of Joe Burrow would, would probably be fine with him because he is going to be the target of every media member throughout this entire season, especially, um, you know, early on. So um, I, I don't think that's the issue at all. and. I don't think like I wouldn't have an issue with the Bengals bringing on Colin Kaepernick in terms of whether or not he's a talent or or what have you. The thing is, I agree with you that it doesn't really make any sense in this specific situation because if you're trying to bring in a backup for Joe Burrow, one, I think you want a guy who is is current on what's going on in the league, and I'm not saying Colin Kaepernick hasn't watched film and and doesn't know what's going on, but there's just a difference between being involved. in in the day-to-day of the NFL and knowing what type of coverages each guy is going to throw on you and tendencies of certain cornerbacks or linebackers when they're disguising a blitz or, or whatever it is, those are the types of little things you would like a veteran backup to be able to help Joe Burrow with. And Colin Kaepernick is, is, going to be reacquainting himself with those same types of things because he's been out of the game for so long so he's not the guy that's really going to be able to share that insight with joe right now and then as you pointed out which i think is a good point their games are really nothing alike colin kaepernick has this huge arm talent with great straight line speed joe burrow is is kind of in theory the the supercharged andy dalton right he's more of the the control accuracy think the game sees a play ahead um, really cerebral quarterback that maybe doesn't have the superior physical talents of of a Colin Kaepernick. So I, I don't think it makes any sense for the Bengals to seek out Colin Kaepernick. And and we clearly know that they won't because they've been pretty um, hard headed about the the fact that they're not going to sign a veteran.
0: Yeah, whether it's Colin Kaepernick or any other veteran, do do you think do you think he does wind up with a team? I think he's gonna get a ch- I, I think he's gonna get a chance. If yeah. He won- and the other thing is, does he, does he now even want that chance still, right? And, and that's what the too it,
1: it seemed like last year he was still very much interested in, in trying to play football. There was that whole fiasco. And I understand why, you know, him and his people kind of pulled back a little bit on the deal because of, of what the, the, the NFL was trying to get him to sign and everything. So th- there's just been a lot of nonsense and there's a lot of mistrust between Colin Kaepernick and the league as a whole. I don't think he ends up back on a team, whether he wants to play or not. I don't, I don't think it matters. I just don't think – again, the fact that he's been out for four years, I don't think any team sees a big enough reward there to sign him. Now, do I think he could be an effective backup in the NFL still? Yeah, I think he could. I think at the time he left the NFL, there's no way you can tell me he wasn't one of like the 64 best players. Oh, no! Yeah, league. Yeah, I mean, no, like, no question. Yeah, anyone no question. would have taken him still. He was more, a better talent at that time than Andy Dalton was this year, and we were all wondering who was going to sign Andy Dalton, right? I mean, we knew Andy Dalton was going to latch on with somebody. Um, so the idea that he was out of the league at that point in his career, there's no way you can think it's anything other than his stance on the social issues and, and kneeling for the, the national anthem. But at this point, now that you're four years removed from that, it, it just is a different story purely from a football perspective.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I, I think you would have to go. I, Baltimore would be a perfect fit for many reasons. It's a similar offense to what he ran. Greg Roman was was in San Francisco when he was there. He was the offensive coordinator in Baltimore. Um, I you know San Diego's talked about giving him a look, and with what what they want to do with Tyrod Taylor, I don't think they'll do it with with uh, with Herbert eventually. I think because he's a drop back passer. But if you're gonna tailor an offense to Tyrod Taylor, um, no pun intended, you would. Probably like to have a backup that has a a similar skill set to that. So I I do think there are some fits for him in this league, but it's also a matter of if you bring him in and he's he doesn't you know he he he, that four years of rust really shows up. How hard will it be to cut him?
1: Yeah, well I I I think that's a good point, and and you know the Ravens was the first team that comes to mind because you're thinking well he's certainly not Lamar Jackson, but at least if Lamar Jackson goes down, which you are worried about him potentially getting injured you've got something that looks similar to what Lamar can do back there, you know, as your backup, at least you have a guy with some superior speed and and other assets that most quarterbacks don't have the really strong arm, the ability to take the top off the defense, but they've already got Robert Griffin as their backup. Like and,
0: Trent, and Trent McSorley, who does, did some similar things as a runner at Penn State. I mean, they've got th- two other guys like that.
1: Right. So who are you going with? The guys who are already sort of in there, proven as worthy backups in the NFL, who are current and up-to-date on what's going on? Or you're going with the guy who's been sitting out for four years, regardless of whether he's talented enough or not? It's an easy decision. Um, another team I thought would have made sense, because they're certainly not shy about the, the media hype, is the Cowboys but they got Andy Dalton as their backup so I mean that's not going I think the, the one team to me that would make the most sense that could actually potentially even look at him as a starter is is uh the Panthers
0: yeah I mean they got Teddy Bridgewater but you know as 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 good as he was in that few starts for Drew Brees you still have to hold your breath probably every time he drops back just because you can think back to the gruesome injury when he was in Minnesota right I mean that that, to me, it still makes Teddy Bridgewater a fragile guy. So, yeah, no, you're right.
1: Yeah, so I, I don't think he ends up latching on with a team, but I think there are some situations that would make sense for him. And and I think there's definitely the chance that he's still talented enough to at least be a backup quarterback in the league.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I Again, unless that rust shows up, and I think you'd see that pretty quickly in a training camp.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure there will be rust there, but, I mean, there are guys who are just flat out not good enough to even – be in the league that are holding clipboards right now. You know, I mean, so you can deal with Rust if uh, it takes him some time because he's going to have some time. It's not like anyone's going to bring him in and expect him to start.
0: Dude, Chase Daniel's still cashing checks, and I still have a hard time understanding
1: that. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of cats out there like that, really. Yeah, right, right. Major League Baseball and Turner Sports have agreed to a new media rights deal worth roughly $3.2 billion over seven years. The MLB's agreement with the Warner Media Network will commence in 2022 and pay the league $470 million per year, up from $325 million, a 40% increase. Since the announcement earlier this week, many people have used this news to argue their point about why the owners are being greedy with regards to baseball's restart amidst the coronavirus pandemic. Skinny, did the news of MLB's new media rights deal change your opinion at all about the ongoing negotiations between the owners and the players?
0: Not the current ones, but it certainly would change my opinion as they, they negotiate the collective bargaining agreement that ends after next year. I think that's, that's something that has to be talked about moving forward is that deal. But no, because I, I just think these are unique circumstances. And, and, I, and the owners are No, here's the thing, Rick. We've talked about this. No one, including the players, denies that the owners are going to lose money this year. They are going to lose money, and it's going to be a significant amount of money. The question for a lot of players have is, look, you've got some built-in things from the past that should be able to cushion this. You do have some things moving forward, and this deal maybe being one of them that they could use in that regard. But it doesn't for me just because of how unique the circumstances are for this year.
1: Well, I think we've already been – clearly on opposite sides of this i've all along thought that the owners should be willing to move more in the direction of the players and it just goes back to the simple fact of who is in a better position to take a financial hit in a situation like this it is the boss or the owners of a company or is it the employees and it's always going to be the owners and that that Case Major League Baseball. Yes, you're talking about billionaires versus millionaires, as opposed to you know someone like us who who isn't making much money. It, it makes it more difficult to see that, but I still think it's the same principle in terms of the the power lies with the owners. They're the ones who can easily take this hit up front, and by the way, they're the ones who reap the benefit of it long term. And that's already being shown. Like they're trying to play the look at little old us. Who's going to lose money this year. And meanwhile, they're getting a 40% increase on their next media rights deal. And this is only one of like three or four media rights deals that they'll sign. And they're all going up 40, 50% the, baseball is not hurting for money. They're, they're continuing to, to grow in terms of their profits. So I think I was already on the side of the owners are being too greedy. and this just solidifies that position for me
0: yeah I, i'm still going to disagree with that I, I i know that i'm i'm, I'm probably in the two percent that I, i'm not completely in the owner's camp i want that to be understood i they're i think they're both very much in the wrong both sides but uh to me just this year when you know they're taking a significant significant financial hit i, I think do we know it's
1: game. that significant though
0: i mean they they'd but, still look, refuse the, to the, open the, up their books correct the players though, even agree they they know they're losing money they know that
1: well, and and they, uh, everyone's going to be losing money. The players are losing a significant portion of their salary that they were supposed to get.
0: Well, uh, I mean, but but you're not playing. So so I guess here would be the question. So do you want to play games without fans moving forward? Is that where I mean? I mean, it, I guess my is question. Is that easy?
1: I guess my question for you would be: Sinclair is taking a hit with advertisers right now. Are you willing to take less money? Should you take that hit, or do you think the the CEO of Sinclair should?
0: I think if it's everybody across the board then then look if they say the CEO is going to take a 10% pay cut we're all going to take one to stay afloat I I'd take the 10% pay cut versus losing my job Man, and that and that's where the players are at right now they they've drawn a line in the sand I'll give them that much um, the good part I guess to some degree is we've we've now come to at least not a conclusion, but it seems like they're getting a little closer. They, they've now come to that 60-game platform as as we talked this morning doing this podcast on Thursday morning. There's a belief that they'll eventually settle on 65 games. Um, you know, I know the players want the season to go longer. I, I, I think now the owners have put it back in the players' court, to be honest with you. Uh,
1: see, I, I think what's happening here is the owners are going to end up having to – make some type of deal, and they're getting close enough to their almost, you know, before we were separated by billions of dollars, or at least a billion, over a billion dollars. Oh,
0: billion, a billion, yeah, billion three.
1: Yeah, now we're separated by 500, 600 million, which is still a lot of money, obviously, but you're getting close to that number, and I think because the big sticking point right now seems to be that MLB wants the players to sign over The the rights to any legal action after all of this is over, right? And I agree.
0: And I and I think that I think that's a non-starter. If the if the players' association doesn't say that we're not going to file a grievance and and sign a thing that says that the owners are going to say to hell with it Then we're not doing this because we're not going to go ahead and start this and then you guys file a grievance and we're on the hook for more. So I, I think the players have to get into that.
1: But based on what we've seen, the new obsession with the owners making sure the players sign that and that becoming the new sticking point, and also it seeming like they had maybe agreed to a deal and then the players backing out of it. Um, and, and, you know, of course, they said there was never a deal agreed to. This was all within the last, you know, 24, 48 right. hours. I, I think – uh that, that kind of shows that the owners are worried about losing losing in court, like that that they have not negotiated in good faith per the the agreement that they agreed to in March. So, I uh, I think the owners are going to end up having to make some concessions. But the thing is, it's a waiting game for them. The longer they wait, the closer that dollar amount gets to where they want it, which well, is in a closer point. Two billion or so.
0: Yeah, and the closer it gets to a, a shortened season, it gets. You know, you, you're just right. That's my point. Where you, you can only play a certain amount of games because of time. Because and I think what, that's where we're at.
1: Because what they know is that the players are not going to come off the full prorated salaries. They want the full prorated salary. No, and, and, now, and that's
0: where. Yeah, and I think they now have gotten to that point of like, what what what's the number of games we can do this? And I think they they offered sixty. There's a belief that it settles on sixty five. If we can get to that, in the and the players don't agree to that, then to hell with them.
1: Yeah. And I think, but that's exactly what's happening right now. The players are saying, wait, there's still enough time. If we're doing full prorated salaries, let's do 70 something games. You just offered us 74 games without full prorated salaries a week ago. We've still got plenty of, or, you know, it was like three or four days ago. We've still got plenty of time to play more games, get it up to like 70. And the owners are, are like, no, cause we don't want to pay that money. I mean, that's not what, that's not how they're saying it, but that's the way they're thinking. So the longer they wait, they'll get it down to few enough games to where they can give the players the full prorated salaries, which is what they want. And as long as the players agree to not file a grievance afterwards and they sign off on that, I think we will definitely have baseball. And and again, I think that's what's going to happen. It's always been the case.
0: Yeah, I, I, It's just a waiting
1: game for the, the owners.
0: I think you'll have an answer to this by the end of the weekend. I think you'll have have a, a – maybe even well, by the time this podcast is up, there may be an answer to this. I, I, I think it's going to have to come quickly, and I think at this point it will. I mean, we've kicked the can far enough down the road that um, you are running out of time to make that decision.
1: Yep, no question. Oklahoma State football coach Mike Gundy apologized Tuesday for the pain and discomfort he caused his players and others due to a One America News t-shirt he was photographed wearing – and vowed positive changes for his football program. One American News is a far-right network that has extreme views and often dismisses issues like racism and the Black Lives Matter movement. Gundy's apology came one day after star running back Chuba Hubbard went on social media and called his coach out, saying he wouldn't be participating in any activities with Oklahoma State until changes were made. Hubbard's use of his platform to call attention to a social issue is just one of several recent examples of college athletes realizing the power they wield with their social media accounts. Skinny, what do you make of college athletes finding their voice and being more and more proactive about trying to get the system to cater to them?
0: I have no problem with it up to a point. For stuff like this, absolutely have a voice. Um, uh, being abused in a weight room or on a conditioning field or, or in a conditioning thing, absolutely have a voice. But the question then is if somebody coaches you hard and sometimes you have to coach people hard and there's a fine line, I get it. In times of change, Bob Knight would not work in today's society. I do fully understand that. But at what point is it, listen, he's the coach, you're the player. You either play by his rules or you go somewhere else. I I, look at the, and and I'm doing probably apples and oranges here for sure. I I, I get that because the the Chuba Hubbard thing, absolutely. You should have a voice and it. And it, it, make my, it made Mike Gundy have to do not one apology, but what, two different apologies. And I still don't know if he's gotten it right to this point, to be honest with you. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's a good thing. I think, look, they're adults, and they should have a voice in, in, in some of this. But I also think there is a – it's kind of like being in the workplace. You have a boss. You don't have to like your boss, um, but you have to play by the boss's rules or the company's rules or go find another company or another job. And, and I, there is a fine line there. Can you voice your displeasure on occasion? Sure, should you be able to? Absolutely, but I, I think there's a there's a little bit of a fine line, and it probably is. I mentioned it probably is apples and oranges, because uh, what Chuba Hubbard is is talking about has nothing to do with the way Mike Gundy coaches. It's that he was offended by the the shirt and what the shirt stood for. So um, I, I think it is a good thing that players have are finding their voice this summer.
1: Yeah, well, and that's the thing. It's really important to differentiate between what Chuba Hubbard is doing and a player throwing a tantrum because he disagrees with his playing time or his coach's style of play or something like that. And it's very easy for us as adults and rational human beings, or relatively speaking, to see that on social media. Like it's not like a line is being blurred there. Like we can differentiate Shuba Hubbard saying "Uh, my coach is clear. And, And let's be honest about what Mike Gundy was doing there. You're wearing that shirt. With what's going on in our country, he says he didn't know what they stood for. Come on, come on, Mike. No, just like not there's no chance in hell. He I, knew I, exactly what he was doing. Maybe uh, Sorry. I, like that'd be putting on that'd be putting on a MAGA hat, like during this time. And and you can have whatever political beliefs you want. The, I, I'm I'm a huge on the First Amendment. I'm not saying you can't do that, but also there are ramifications for doing those things. And if you are going to make that type of statement. In this time in our country, you are clearly saying, I am I am against what's going on. I am against Black Lives Matter. I am against the social justice uh, movements that are going on in our country. And so for him to do that at that moment was very disrespectful to his black players, uh, any black coaches or staff members he may have. And I, I fully agree with what Chuba Hubbard did. And I think that is totally different from a player just being a malcontent, you know, about what's going on inside a locker room. That, but,
0: but I guess the more they have the voice and again, I, I, this is apples and oranges, but the more they have that, do they then feel empowered to question a coach over stuff like playing time and the way well, they're yeah. co- being coached?
1: Look, and I think we've seen that, right? I mean, there's been all types of instances where a player will post something, something on like his Instagram story and then it gets deleted within you know 4 or 5 hours cuz it was calling his coach out or talking about I'm transferring or something like that. I mean, we've seen that happen and it's treated as such. Um so I don't think it's like a concern that this is going to go too far in the other direction. We keep talking about like the transfer epidemic going on in college sports and that is how players are able to use their voice to to change their situation if they don't like the way they're being coached. They get to transfer and after next year I think they'll be able to transfer one time without even having to sit out for a year. So Uh, they're taking control back and I think this even factors into the image and likeness rules that are being changed it's all a good thing and it's smart that these players understand that they shouldn't let these schools silence them schools that try to put in um, social media policies that don't let their players post and things like that well when it comes to something like this you can do whatever you want and when when the nation hears and sees your voice and that you're on the right side of things, your coach is going to have no choice regardless of whatever silly social media policies they may have in place. He's going to have to go on a national television and apologize the way Mike Gundy did.
0: And there is no question that, that, that coaches at that level college and professional especially are as control freaky as possible, right? I mean, there's, there's no greater control freaks in the world than, than
1: coaches. Yeah. Oh, and they they show that all the time. But there's also, the the crazy thing about this to me is the guys like Mike Gundy, the coaches who are willing to go out there and do something like this, when their business, let's face it, I mean, uh, uh, just being very blunt about it, you cannot win in college athletics if you're not good at recruiting black kids. Right. I mean, just point blank. It's not going to happen. You are not going to win. So it is bizarre to me. You have to really... I mean, really be against black people getting equal treatment, essentially, because that's all anyone is basically arguing for right now. To, to be making a stand at this time in our country's history, when your job literally relies on you being able to go into black people's homes and say, trust me. With with developing your son in some of the most important years of his life,
0: yeah, and that's why I'll be honest. If you're Oklahoma State, and it's not really germane to our market, but just in general, if you're Oklahoma State, I I, I don't see how you can have Mike Gundy be your football coach because I think now I think he now referred? he is, yeah I think now he is compromised, and and I don't know if you know this. There's a story that's that just coming out this morning. Uh, former Bengals player Alfred Williams who played uh, for Colorado back when Gundy was the quarterback at at Oklahoma State said he called him the n-word and he said all I want from him is an apology and he said he's brought this up before I mean it's just it's it's now he's opened himself up to getting piled on and and maybe rightfully so and like I said I think at this stage for Oklahoma State you you have to let the guy go
1: yeah and it's gonna keep happening because like I said Mike Gundy knew exactly what he was doing when he put on an OAN t-shirt during this time I mean that He's that type of guy. That's who he is. It, you, you make that decision consciously when this is going on. I mean, it's not like he, he was just totally ignorant to, to what OAN is about and, and what their views were. So I'm not buying that part of it at all. And I'm not buying his apologies either. He's doing what he needs to do to try to save his job. Oh, and I don't think it should absolutely.
0: work. Yeah, absolutely.
1: All right, NBA teams are scheduled to head to Orlando the second week of July to enter the Disney World bubble for training camp, and play is set to start on July 30th, if we get that far. The league released its 113-page manual of health and safety rules dictating how players and coaches will spend their time in Orlando. Skinny, I know you looked over it line by line, all six billion words of their health and safety manual. What part of the rules and protocols stuck out to you the most?
0: Yeah, originally, I think they called it a memo, didn't they? A memo does
1: not have <laughs> one hundred and thirteen pages, my man. I, I,
0: I realize that, but I think that's. Exa- I think they didn't they initially call it a memo? Oh
1: yeah, yeah
0: okay. Yeah, All right, let's was termed uh, a memo. Yeah, I like the way you termed it. Something. Would you just term it a manual?
1: Yeah, a manual. Yeah, that's page that, manual. Yes,
0: that's exactly what it is. It's a manual. Okay, I, I, that's a good one. But one of the ones I saw that interested me was, and I got to see if I phrase this right. And you can help me with this if you would. Um, if you remember seeing this, that that the players can only they can only be in the room that they sleep in, which basically means they can't go to you're my teammate. I can't go to your room to play cards. But it also said that they they have to be the only person in the room they sleep in, which then tells me these dudes are going without for months on end.
1: Get my drift? Yeah. Well, and there was the uh, or
0: there's or special see because it said can only be in their sleeping room. So it makes me wonder, is there also a boinking room, for lack of a better term?
1: Uh, well, I don't think there are any better terms than how you just termed it. I think, actually, what happens here is if you get past the first round of the playoffs, based on what this says, you get another room. Like, each player gets one more room where they're allowed to they the pay conjugal, for it. The,
0: the conjugal room.
1: Right. In theory, they make it sound like it's for your family, but they also don't get too specific about who it's for. I mean, look, we've heard about All-Star Weekend. There's all types of workers, shall we say, brought in for All-Star Weekend in New Orleans or Vegas or wherever that's at. I'm thinking you get past the first round of the playoffs and there might be some, some women put back to work here. Well, yes, and, and here's, the, here's the
0: only issue, though, with that. What if the wife wants to come? What do you do with wife and worker or, se- or side piece? What do well, you, wh- how do you – that's a tough choice there now.
1: Yeah, and the other part about it is it's not like you can just be bringing people in and out of that extra room. Like, So that more is for your family if you have a family that you're going to be bringing. But if you're a single guy, I think you have to be really careful about this situation. It's not a one-and-done night. That's a good – that's you know, a legitimate point. They're going to be staying around or at least – you maybe they can leave right away, but it's not like you can just bring someone in the next night. So, I I mean, all all joking aside, they had to have thought of some of this, right? Oh, are you kidding me? Like, like do you really think that they thought handing out endless amounts of decks of cards because they can only use each deck one time before they discard them was going to keep the players from wanting to have sex yeah i I, nba guys are certified big sex guys
0: well here here and 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 honestly this is where uh, obviously there's two again this is apples and oranges kyrie irving in that in that in the in the call was talking about players not going for for social reasons um but i think for some of these players who may balk at this I think it is the realization of, oh, crap, man, we're going to be in this for two and a half months,
1: maybe? I don't know about that, man. I I liked that the uh, NBA said they will not be testing for recreational drugs, but also made it clear to point out that uh, marijuana is illegal in Florida. So (laughs) I don't know why they felt the need to point that out, but they did. So um, I'm just going to say this. Those rooms, those hotels – they're going to have to be steam cleaned oh, for like two weeks for the no amount question. of blood smoke that they're going to have to get out of these curtains. No question. No question. I so, mean, you've got nothing to do. You There's weird rules on who they're allowed to golf with. Right, they can't, they can't right. play tennis, at, uh, ping pong, and doubles. Only one-on-one ping pong because of these rules. And then, But then, by the way, they're going to go to practice and rub up against each other and sweat on each other, or they're going to play games play against games. each other right. where they're sweating and spitting and yelling at each other. I mean... I get it, but at the same time, I have to question the legitimacy and effectiveness of all these protocols. When push comes to shove, do you think they get they pull it off? I do. I, I don't think all of these protocols get followed. Like, I don't know who's going to be standing there watching every player every second of the day. Although the fact that they are in. The Disney World bubble, I mean, they can probably put cameras on them at all times and follow them around. So maybe it's like there's the Wizard of Oz just sitting in a control room watching them all at all tom, times on different monitors and, and handling it that way. But I do think we, we have basketball. I think the NBA will make it happen, even if uh, some of the, the star players don't show up or certain guys decide to stay home. Who was it that said, if LeBron says we're playing, we're playing? I, I agree <laughs> with that guy. Patrick Beverly. Yep, Patrick Beverly. Well said. If LeBron says we hooping, we hooping. Yep, I agree with that. (laughs) Uh, I
0: I do too. I just, I I will say, if a player, when you start reading through some of the things, I do think it's going to give some guys a pause. I really believe it. I think they probably end up going, but I I think some of them go swallowing hard.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you, you get there, and for 48 hours, you're not allowed to see anybody. You just have to stay in your room as you get tested multiple times. And then after that, you know, you're only allowed to interact with the people around you. Um, it's going to be a weird social experiment. If you, get, if you test positive, they're going to quarantine you, test you again to make sure it wasn't a false positive, and then you're going to be quarantined for 14 days right? if you test positive. But they, they said they're not going to shut, shut it down them. unless it hits a critical mass of players. However, they don't define what that would entail. So yeah,
0: I, I think that's at least a good sign because you know somebody is going to have it. Somebody is going to test positive, and probably multiple people are going to test positive. Um, so I, I think that's a good thing that they've at least not hit the panic button of all right. If a guy tests positive, we're shutting this whole thing down because it's going to happen. It's going to happen probably within the first couple of days.
1: Yeah. Oh, I mean, just the playing the percentages, multiple guys are going to test positive for coronavirus. I don't think that's an. I mean, look you saw what happened right away when this whole thing went down and you had a couple players that already had it and Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and and that whole fiasco so it's it's only a matter of time someone will test positive and then we'll see how it goes from there i think the good thing that we have seen is these young athletes who have gotten it i mean even von miller a guy right. who has asthma and they were like really worried about it when they said he had it everyone's recovering fine it doesn't seem to be affecting them too much um, so that's a really good thing. However, I do think if anyone gets it, I think it basically ends them for the rest of this season and postseason because, yeah, and
0: that may be the case, especially that, if you, that'll, that'll make it interesting though. I mean, what if LeBron and Anthony Davis get it? I mean, I, and not to be funny, oh,
1: if what any star point? player gets it, it's a right. huge deal.
0: It's a huge deal.
1: Yeah. And it's going to be, make things really weird. But I mean, you just think, because basically if they get it, they're going to be extremely limited to what they're allowed to do because they're really worried about, the, the respiratory the impact and, and the spread and the spread. Yeah. So um, I think that w- the, by the time you're able to get your wind back up and the doctors feel confident that you can play in an NBA game without putting yourself at risk. Uh, I just do not see you getting back in time to, to impact the the playoffs even. Yeah.
0: And it'll be interesting. Um, if something does occur, what then that does to football. Cause in theory, football will be starting at the same time with training camps, July 28th. Um, even though now some coaches are pushing back and they want it to go to think about doing it later in the game, um, at a later date. But, uh, you know, if, if this is a failure for whatever reason, I don't know when we see sports again, to be honest with you.
1: It'll be really interesting. Hopefully it goes off without a hitch and, uh, then we can start worried about football when we get to that point.
0: Yeah. and, And real quickly, um, I, I put a piece up on our website last Friday from, uh, from the people at Stadium which uh, Sinclair owns and which Sinclair owns us as well. Um, and they offered up some clips of Dr. Anthony Fauci answering some questions. He actually was pro the NBA bubble. He thinks it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great idea of trying to play sports and also trying to, you know, mitigate uh, the situation and, and be safe. So um, the fact he kind of signs off on us, I, I I'm looking at, I, I'm looking forward to watching basketball again, but I'm also looking forward to seeing if this works.
1: Oh, it's, I mean, it is the, the Truman Show condensed into a, a couple-week reality series with NBA games going on and gambling. It's going to be fantastic. I mean, the storylines are endless with this situation, so I'm I'm definitely looking forward to following all of it. Yep. All right. Cincinnati signed Russian forward Victor Lockin this week. At six foot ten and two hundred eighteen pounds, Lockin averaged nine point eight points and seven rebounds over six games in the U eighteen European National Championship last summer. John Brandon says he has an excellent combination of skill, size, and athleticism, and his versatility will be an asset for the Bearcats. Locken joins seven newcomers this year. Six of them will be eligible to play immediately. In addition to Locken, the Bearcats have forward Terry Eason, wing Gabe Madsen, guard Mason Madsen, and point guard Mike Saunders joining them from the prep ranks. They also added Rapalus Ivanovskis as a grad transfer from Colgate. David DeJulius also transferred in from Michigan but he'll have to sit out a year barring him getting a waiver from the NCAA. Skinny, what do you think of John Bradon adding seven newcomers ahead of next season including his newest addition in a 6 foot 10 Russian forward Victor Lockin?
0: Yeah, it's 6'10 218 sounds very thin to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean he's he's
1: your U- European face up right. guy, right? Right, right, exactly. Can pass, exactly. can shoot.
0: Yep um didn't put up gaudy numbers though in in some of those u18 games i mean they were okay no but i do like
1: like the fact that he's rebounding consistently despite being skinny
0: yeah i think he averaged what 10 points or something like that shot okay from the field 47 percent um i did not see his three-point breakdown to be honest with you but um yeah i look um this is probably we've talked about this is a this is going to take a little time after the jaron cumberland era to kind of build things back up i mean let's face it when you when when you're UC, you are kind of building in three and four year cycles, Mick, that's what Mick Cronin did. And, you know, getting, keeping guys for three and four years. And when you have that really good team, you got to take advantage of it, which they didn't do a couple of years ago in that loss to Nevada, that was a really good team. Um, no one's going to disagree with that. And it's disappointing. They went out when they went out because that team probably was, was better than going out in that round. So uh, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how he puts all the parts together, but the one thing I, 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 I've known about John um, you know, since the NKU days is he, he seems to have a plan for how he wants to put a roster together, and uh, it seems like he just got another skilled guy to do that.
1: Well, yeah, and I mean, I think the way you look at how he's building these things, um, it really does kind of remind you, and these were maybe even some of the knocks on his teams when he was at NKU, of kind of the Chris Mack model of building a team where he gets guys that are skilled, he gets guys that can score. Um, and he plays a totally different style of defense than Chris Mack did. And Chris Mack being a pack line guy, John Brandon being a want to get up in you and play 94 feet and press. But he seems willing to give up some defensive ability if he can find the right skill pieces. And I think that's what you're seeing with another guy like Victor Lockett. I don't think this guy's going to be a great defender for the Bearcats. But I do think he is changing the brand of UC basketball, which is what I expected when you saw the transition from Mick Cronin to John Brandon, they're just two different coaches. And I think the, the, the big hurdle Brandon and his staff are having to overcome is that Mick Cronin runs a good program, but it's unique to Mick Cronin. It's a certain style and he doesn't really recruit the way I think a lot of other coaches would try to recruit in terms of going out and trying to land the best talent possible. Um, he kind of had an empty cupboard. Once he left, you know, I mean, there wasn't a lot of talent in the ranks. Now, granted, he has athleticism and toughness, and he's going to teach those guys to to play his defense the way he wants it played and get all those deflections. And it would have worked out for him. He would have won enough games in the AAC the way he always does. But as a, as a different coach comes again, you're trying to do different things offensively. You just didn't have the horses to, to run your style if you were John Brannon. So I do think you, you saw him bringing, what, four guys last year that were new? This year you've got seven new guys. So now pretty much everyone on the roster is John Brannon guys. And it's probably not quite the level of talent he'd like to recruit because he's having to do some of this piecemeal with transfers and overseas guys. But I, I do think he's putting together together a, a compelling roster. And if they get David DeJulius eligible right away, That's, that'd be huge. Th- this year could be even better than expected. Yeah,
0: I'm not holding out hope for that, to be honest with you. Uh,
1: Me neither, but I think either way now, as a UC fan, you've got all these pieces that that it's going to be a really fun year because you're going to say, okay, well, this is what we're building towards for the next two years. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, Skinny, it is time for our favorite segment of the podcast, time for Ask Skinny Anything, where people send us topics, links, videos, whatever, on the internet via Twitter, email, direct messages, and now even my musketeerreport.com message boards. And uh, I pose it to you. I just make you talk about it, whatever it is. So uh, one of the questions coming in off Twitter this week was, is the family summer vacation worth it? That's all. That's just the question right there. Um. I feel like yeah. that's from a frustrated dad.
0: Yeah, that, that does sound, I mean, is he talking about this year, especially
1: because of coronavirus or well, just in general? Well, this year you'd get a good deal on it at least.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I say yes. Um, we were not big vacation people only because of my work schedule and my daughter's summer golf schedule. Uh, my oldest daughter, uh, as she was going through her high school ranks and, and even in college. So a lot of our stuff was built around summer golf um, but we did take a couple of vacations that revolved around a couple of golf tournaments, and yeah, I, yeah, I, I say yes. The only thing for me is I don't. When I go on vacation, and I'm not a big vacation guy, I'm, I'm just not. I'll take a week here and there, and usually it's to catch up on stuff I I can't do. So I'm not a vacation. But when we did, I don't want to do sightseeing stuff. I look vacation to me is sit, sit on a my beach, sit my ass on the beach and, and have and, and drink beers. It's exactly right. I, yeah. I don't I don't want to have to be the guy that says after that week of vacation, damn, I need a week of vacation because I just took vacation because it wore me out. Look, I did the Disney stuff. I vowed never to do it again. If my daughters have have children and and it's take the grandkids, I think granddad may sit this one out. I I did that enough. I, I went to Disney four or five times. That part of the vacation, if the guy's asking, I'd say, you got to do it once probably but once is enough boy. I don't do it more than once. I did it more than once. I I remember the last one I'll give my wife credit. She I it was when the ESPN zones were opening up those bars and I said oh, yeah. listen. I said I'm done. I did I said I'm done. I'm going to the ESPN zone and I'm just going to sit there drink beer, watch and have a baseball. a $24 burger. Yep, and I'm going to meet you back in the room. I said honest to God, I'm done and I'll, I I she left me go I, cuz I was I'd had enough of theme parks. I'd had enough of standing in line. I'd had enough of pick me up daddy. I'd had enough of that.
1: I bet you are just a treat at an amusement park. I'm not a big line fan.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Hot standing in line whining. Yes. Sounds like your bag right there. Yeah. Not a chance. So obviously I'm not a a parent yet. I don't have a family of my own. So it's tough for me to answer this, but I will say, I think it definitely depends on what type of person you are in terms of like how you look at money and value money. Like my dad could never get past the the concept of how much money he was spending while he was on vacation. There's no so doubt. he was just stressed out and pissed off the entire time. So I wouldn't say our vacations always sucked, but I would just say like one time when we were on our way to Myrtle Beach, him and my mom were in the fighting a little bit before we got to a Taco Bell to stop on the drive. He was already pissed off at the kids because we were just driving him nuts in the car because we're driving instead of flying. Cause again, the money thing and in the Taco Bell, my mom just decides to walk back outside of it to, to kind of get away from him because they're kind of arguing still. And then that pissed my dad off so much. He comes back with the tray of food and he, he goes, Where's your mom? And we go, Oh, she walked outside and he slams a chili cheese burrito. And you know, like the chairs, those metal under. Thing, like, the chairs are all connected to the tables at Taco yes, Bell's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The weird swinging swivel chairs. So, yep. that, all that metal underneath them, he swung it and missed the tabletop, hit one of those, like, metal bars. Oh! Great chili cheese burrito, <laughs> everywhere and let me tell you uh you know like as a man you sometimes do things like you punch a wall you put a hole in it or whatever and you look and you go, god what a dumbass i was i, you, I, I, you, I,
0: I did that by dumbass. the way
1: never has a man realized that and it was more visible on his face than when my dad was on his hands and knees cleaning up chili cheese burrito <laughs> juice all over the, <laughs> the walls and the, the booths at the taco bell and god knows where south carolina yeah so so to answer our guys that's awesome actually <laughs> to answer our guys question i i say yes
0: it is worth it but um uh, it, it should be your vacation too i mean honestly it's part of it right yeah
1: i but do things that you know you'll be happy doing like if, right do it something right. that's within your budget your kids will be happy no matter what as long as you're not being an asshole
0: yeah and occasionally i mean let's face it when you have young kids you kind of gotta swallow hard and do the disney thing and um it's just it's their vacation too as well but uh, to me, the, the, the vacation is, um, I, I'd rather just either be playing golf or sitting on a beach, and that's about it.
1: Well, per usual, Skinny, we have a food question here. If you could create your own appetizer sampler platter, what would they be? You get four options.
0: All right, four options. Uh, mozzarella sticks are an easy one, man. That's I'm a
1: not a motz stick, I believe. It really? Or not. Oh. Yeah
0: love especially if they're done right if, if if they're done and some places don't do them right some you can just tell they threw it in the microwave and they didn't even fry it and it's just awful but if you do it right man a good mozzarella stick potato skins but they got to also be done right you got to have some crisp to the skin part of it it's got to be a little crispy on the outside um and and it's got to be the sour cream and chives got to be just right man I, I, those would be for me um are we counting wings in that menu?
1: Yeah, I mean wings to me have to be in here if you're doing a sampler platter. Otherwise, there's no point in getting it.
0: Yeah, and I I'd go with and and this is I'm you know it's underrated
1: to me. Applebee's is an underrated place. I'm gonna go with a little riblets. Oh, riblets as an app? Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm you know I'm a big uh, dip guy. Hashtag Dip Friday. So. I'm. I've got a whatever your dip is, whether that's a spinach and artichoke dip or a yes. Yeah, I'm not. I'm,
0: it's. I, I like queso. I. I cannot stand spinach and artichoke. I can't do it.
1: Mm, I really like spinach and artichoke. And I, and
0: I love the sad part is I love spinach. I. I love to eat like as that's a side strange. Dish. So you're just not an artichoke guy.
1: Yeah. No, I'm not artichoke and cheese. I don't know. Uh, one of those two are giving you a problem. Yeah. I'm. I'm going wings. I'm going whatever your kind of specialty dip is, like a like pretzel bites. That's big good, pretzel bites uh, and cheese guy. That's always I, a good one.
0: I am too, but they fill you up.
1: Oh yeah. But that's but that's fine. Like I'd, you're only gonna eat like two or three of those if you're doing an appetizer sampler with someone. I mean
0: I'm trying to think. I, I think it's the holy grail. If you get like that, they have a on the on the appetizer menu the, the big pretzel from them. That that's usually enough, man. That fills you up.
1: Yeah. So here's the the one where I'll go off uh, off the path a little bit that I don't think a lot of people would have. I am a huge Mushroom guy, almost in any form. I'll get fried mushrooms on my side right. I
0: I will tell you this one of one of the one of the, my favorite things. uh Once a year, we go to the Melting Pot, which is a fondue restaurant. We take it started with my my youngest daughter. We were in Washington D.C. when she was five years old. Um, actually, burying my father in law at Arlington National Cemetery. So we, for her birthday, we were close to the hotel, and there was a Melting Pot. So we went there. So it's become a tradition. So we go to one up in Montgomery every year, and. Man, you put when they give you the mushroom caps and you put it in that stuff, and then they have a, a a sauce called Green Goddess, and you put it inside that mushroom cap. That is like the greatest thing ever. So my daughter being home this summer, she said. She she actually bought mushrooms about a month ago. We made Green Goddess because you could do it, and I'm telling you, she and I look like two just absolute pigs eating mushroom and Green Goddess stuff. And she's she's about five feet tall, weighs about 110 pounds. But man, there we were just swallowing that with like it was nobody's business. That if you got the right dip, like the Green Goddess, and I don't know if you consider that a dip; it's more of a spread. But you put it inside the mushroom cap. I, I'm kind of with you on
1: that, Chief. I'm a I like mushroom and Swiss is my go-to burger anywhere. So I'm a mushroom guy, literally, however you make them stuffed mushrooms, whatever, but fried mushrooms. I'm, I'm huge on. And uh DJ Hodge, uh, our friend yep. told me recently, or actually I think he was telling another friend of ours on Twitter and I happened to see it that Frisch's has great fried mushrooms, which I, I never, would never, I'd never believe that. Never knew that. And uh, I tried them and they are, they are pretty good. So wow. there you go. Like you can get them as a separate side. Dish yeah, it's just a shot. The, just a side. They give you a, a little oh. container of them.
0: Well, I'll have to look at that and then make my own Green Goddess and put, the, put them in the Green Goddess. Ooh, that Shout out, out to good. the Green Goddess. For anybody that's been to the Melting Pot. I've never a, had podcasts. You will, you will agree with me on the Green Goddess.
1: Anybody will agree with that. Okay. Well, I mean, I've never had it, but maybe I will try it. Oh. That sounds right up my alley.
0: Look, look, you can make it at home. Look it up. There's, there's a recipe for it. It's really simple, to be honest with you. I'm telling you,
1: that stuff is, is the bomb. All right. This question is going to be tough. It's a good, uh, local sports question. If you were a highly recruited basketball player from the tri-state area and you were determined to stay local within a two hour drive of downtown, who would be your final three and your ultimate choice and why? Keep in mind, Kentucky is out of scholarships. So I guess they don't want us picking UK.
0: Um, me and some buddies did this like 35 years ago and we all wrote wrote it down on a piece of paper and you're going to kill me for this this was actually 1986 or 87 if you
1: say right state
0: no we didn't do the two-hour radius we just did entry we actually all wrote down duke i don't know at the time we liked coach k in the program nobody was you know was kind of they were kind of up and coming and for whatever reason we loved them and i wouldn't write duke down today so within a two-hour radius man U of be in there, believe it or not, because I love the facility. I like Chris Mack a lot. I think Chris Mack would be fun to play for. Um, that would certainly be one. I like John. I don't know. I, John's a, John's tough, though, and, and John kind of reminds me of me a little bit, so I don't know if I'd want to play for me. Um, man, U of be in there. I mean, there's not a lot of choices within a two-hour radius either, right? I mean, Indiana, no. Purdue's not within a two-hour radius. Really, Indiana's not within a two-hour radius. So I guess it, it, it's really, I'd go U of L. I'd go X because I love the Centa Center. It's probably my favorite arena. And then I would probably go, you're going to hate me for this one, UD.
1: Well, I mean, if you want to live four years of your life in the city of Dayton that's up to you I knew that was coming i, I certainly with that I certainly understand that you'd have good fan support there. I like I'll give it to fa- you, Dayton fans are rabbit are great. Get, they're yeah. great
0: they're great no, no no question uh, that'd be that would be my three um yeah that's my three I'd go so I'd go u of l Xavier and Dayton
1: well, I mean I think it's uh it's pretty simple that I would go uh Xavier, because again, the big East, um, I, I think I have spent a lot of time in the Cintas center and I'm with you. I I really like it as well. I think good crowd support, they do a good job of updating and you're the only show in town. I mean, you're not dealing with football or anything like that. So, um, I, I, think Xavier would be on that list. Louisville is without question because it's an NBA facility. You have a chance to win a national title there. Um, I mean, that's that's your best chance of, of making a Final Four, in my opinion, out of the local schools is willful. Um, if, if UK is not included. If UK course, is not included, right. Yeah. And uh, then NKU has to be on that list. Come on. If I've got, <laughs> got the opportunity to stay home and, and take NKU, the first Sweet 16, I'm definitely going to ch- choose that um, and play for Darren Horn and that staff, who I think it, it does a really good job. I, I Ken Botoff deserves credit. And the guy – has done a really good job hiring coaches, if you look at it. John yeah. Brannan to, to Darren Horn back to back in a situation at NKU where you're transitioning to Division one, and people were questioning whether you should have been getting rid of Dave Wiesel in the first place, which is right. I mean, fair like I was one of the people I was one of those that. yeah absolutely I was too. Um, but to, but you can't deny the fact that he is I mean John Brand was a home run without question, and Darren Horn at the very minimal is a double or triple to start things here I mean you win your conference first year you can't argue with that especially after losing the best player in school history interesting one is neither one of us picked UC yeah um I would actually i would, like I'm obviously saying the nKU thing because it's my yeah, yeah. fun and um but I would have no problem playing for John Brannon my only issue oh, is I love John. you
0: know me I love John personally I just know i
1: yeah he, and I actually think that the new updates they did to the arena look good so
0: it's like, great. i i'll tell you it is I think it's fabulous. It really and truly is. The first time I was in there last, was last, uh, last year, not for a game, um, not this past season, but the season before. They actually allowed us to come practice for the, for the regional tournament that was at NKU. They gave us the college court. And I just remember walking in there going, holy cow, this is just beautiful. And it is. It's, it's beautiful. And I didn't even get to see the locker room area, which I know has got to be nice now.
1: I just couldn't play in the AAC yeah like, there's a part I, of me that says the same thing that, there's no I, I shouldn't say that there's just saying, nothing I, about me that wants to play in the aac like I, I wouldn't know, find that cool at all
0: yeah and i know i said dayton and they're in the atlantic 10 which is obviously ugh. that
1: same For reason like, i didn't choose dayton because yeah. i hate the a10 more yeah. so than the aac at least aac you got memphis
0: yeah i love ud arena though i don't know why just i love ud arena
1: it's not terrible it's just in a bad city <laughs> I just want to. Sit. I just love setting you up for that. That's a
0: good question because it's always a good exercise. Because usually, the, the funny part is that it really didn't come down to the coaches. Yeah. Did a it?
1: lot of times it would be more about coaches. But right, right now we've had so much movement with coaches. I mean, I feel really good about Chris Mack. That's why Louisville would be. Yeah, that's why they the were my number one.
0: And that's funny. I'm a Kentucky grad, as many know. I, I, I and me picking Louisville is probably blasphemy, but that that to me honestly if, if i can't do kentucky that's an easy choice
1: yeah if i can if i can play for calipari and, and kentucky i'm doing that first and foremost well here's
0: the problem though if if i if, if i'm being recruited by cal i'm probably not a five-star guy right i'm I'm, a, I'm i'm your three-star grinder i just feel like i'd get buried in that program
1: well, chief let me tell you something cal ain't recruiting you if you're a three-star grinder so. that's my
0: point yeah that's a that's a good call
1: yeah, All right, that's true. All right, let's uh, go on to the next one. You two have already stated you're just, quote, beer guys with maybe the occasional straight bourbon. However, if forced to order some other type of specialty or mixed drink, what would be your go-to? I have a great answer for this. I just talked about it in my Xavier podcast this week.
0: All right, I'll get mine. Um, and I've, actually, I've started drinking it a little bit more. When I fly um for for business usually on the way back home because i'm not working that day it's usually get up fly back and connect and it's probably late in the afternoon i'll get a bloody mary um and i really like i bloody mary or vodka and lemonade is my kind of my summer go-to drink uh for me i I, i'm mostly a beer guy but um i've been i've been drinking those a lot more here lately for some reason in fact I've, i've got a a quart of vodka sitting in my closet as we speak so i'm looking right
1: at it as we're doing this podcast so yeah uh, for me it's it's easy it's bloody mary or, or vodka and lemonade the vodka lemonade i could get down with i'm i'm just not a bloody mary guy i, I don't like vodka all that much to begin with and then when you're you're mixing in i, I love the mix juice, it's like why
0: no dude it's funny because because a lot of times if i'm flying to a city um because we usually have a fun saturday night out so, you don't want to start drinking too early, especially on the plane. I'll just get Bloody Mary mix by itself. I, I love the taste of it.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. See, that makes more sense to me if you're like, just drinking V8 because you're like, oh, I'm trying to be healthy today. I, Dad, I want some it, benefit it, from V8.
0: It's not V8, it's Mr. and Mrs. T, Ms., Mrs. T Bloody Mary mix. It, it's, uh, it's made
1: just perfect. I thought people put V8 in those things or whatever. No. Either way, I'm not really into the tomato juice mixture. But my uh, new kick, and I've got an obsessive personality. Like, I get on kicks. If I find something that's like my favorite, like for instance, Summer Trip Beer from Braxton, I have been drinking that now for like two or three straight years. Um, like nonstop when it goes to the end of the season, they're not going to be like anymore. I, I, I we stopped that the fridge with like a hundred of them. Yeah. I don't know. That's obsessive. It's just, you found something you liked. Well, right. But I mean, that, but that's like how I, like if I, if I get on a kick with eating something, I'll eat it like three times in a week. Right. Okay. Like I just keep right. doing it back to back to back. I don't get tired of something once I get on it. And just recently I got on a long Island iced tea kick, which uh, Dan on our Xavier podcast made fun of it, me for and said it was very Latonia of me. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, good Long Island iced tea. I've just been crushing them recently. I love sours, which is a uh, summer trip kind of in that category, and that's what I like about Long Island iced teas. You get, What's funny is sweet say, and sour in
0: there. And- that's funny because my oldest daughter, um, during the quarantine, came over for dinner with her fiancé one night, and um, she bought the pre-mixed Long Island iced tea that you can – I, I can't remember yeah. who
1: okay, – Barton's so bought, or something. Yeah. yeah,
0: so she bought that. And then didn't drink it that night. She ended up having a glass of wine with dinner and didn't, didn't drink it and left it behind. And so I found it in the fridge about two weeks ago. And my youngest daughter's looking at me and she said, oh, I forgot Katie left that. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. She goes, how about we have one tonight? So I said, I'm going to mix mine with a little bit of lemonade because I just don't, I really am not a big fan of it. So yeah. I did mix a little lemonade. I called it kind of an Arnold Palmer, a, a hard Arnold Palmer, if you will. It was delicious. I'm not gonna lie. Now my daughter hated it. She just drank it straight out of the thing and didn't like it. And um, oh, God. and she's a big, she's a big, she's, she likes whiskey sours actually. Um, so I was surprised she didn't like it. I even said mix it with a little lemonade. She did. She still didn't like it. Um, oh wait, it was, so it,
1: so it was a pre-made, pre-made all the alcohol yes. and the it, yes, sweet correct. and sour stuff. Okay, correct, gotcha. correct, correct. Yeah, no, uh, what, what you, I do the, the alcohols are already pre-made in a mix. So I just do the alcohols all together out of one bottle. And then I do the sweet and sour, and top it off with just like a tiny bit of Coke Zero. And that's Ooh, it.
0: I'll, I'll have to I'll have to tell her that mixture then. See if she likes that, maybe.
1: Yeah, it's fantastic. It tastes a lot like a lemonade. It's very cool and refreshing. <laughs> like, like it's very Latonia of you. Yeah, and that's what that's what Dan said. All right, shout, uh, up, shout out to Latonia, the official drink of Latonia, the Long Island Iced Tea. The Long Island Iced Tea, L-I-T-L-A-T, baby. Uh, <laughs> Here's our final question. We'll wrap it up with this. Coming off the musketeerreport.com message board, shout out to my people. Yep, shout out to your people. I used to love listening to the two angry guys in the mornings with Skinny and Tom Gamble back in the day. Until the hour-long Cincy 360 started somewhat recently, there was no local radio sports programming until 3 p.m. for the longest time. With the Bengals and Reds either playing or preparing to play 10 months out of the year, and with the amount of local college basketball and football interest spread out between several teams, I've always found it hard to believe that there's a lack of demand for radio sports programming in the mornings, early afternoon. My question would be, why doesn't morning sports talk radio work in Cincinnati? It did
0: work. The problem is, though, when you're an affiliate of an ESPN, you, used to have, you usually have to clear a lot of their, um, of their programming. The other thing, too, at the time, and it's, it holds true, um i'm not letting the cat out of the bag iheart media is in such debt that literally you just had to let people go even if you were making money off of them it was just looking at line items and going you have to go you have to go you have to go you have to go and they just went through that again this summer because of the the covid so it it worked and it works um it probably works if you did it like it was done back in the day of a morning show a a midday show uh, an early afternoon show and a drive time show it it worked and it made money um, it's just a matter of sometimes, uh, that when, when you're carrying an affiliate, you have to clear so much of their programming. And then, um, like I said, it got to a point of budget and they had to cut people and I made peace with it. And it, it was a lot, a lot of fun and a fun ride. And I'm a guest on a lot of those shows and I don't mind doing that because I enjoy the people that asked me to come on, but, um, no, it worked. And I think if it, if it ever got back to a local ownership level, it would probably work again.
1: Bingo. That, that is it right there. The issue we have with me, this is something I'm really passionate about with radio specifically, because I know you that's are. what I love. Yeah, I know but you I are. spend a lot of time thinking about this and where, where it's all going. And the biggest issue I think we have is that everything's a conglomeration that is being done at a corporate level where some CEO needs to make a lot of money and there's a lot of overhead and there's a lot of employees and there's a lot of uh, just corporate stuff that's getting in the way that's making it cost way too much money to just produce content. And the the barrier to entry of producing content is so minimal now that there's going to need to be some type of transition back to, like you said, a a local ownership level. That's going to be like individual creators, whether that be podcasters or whoever. I actually, when they take control and they become the the thing again, that's when you'll get back to having local programming. And I actually think um, – Radio, like talk radio, is probably the healthiest out of traditional media, and the one that will survive the longest because they're totally equipped to handle the switchover to the digital age, and they're they're totally equipped to house all the new podcasts and everything else that's going to be created. If the format's going to change, the way they make money is going to change, and they're going to have to restructure. Things like the national uh, corporations may struggle, but there will definitely be more and more talk radio content as we get into things like alexa and other things that are huge with voice voice is is just on the upswing it's just starting it's going to get much much bigger because of the convenience factor of it going forward so i am really bullish on the future of sports talk and just talk radio in general but it's just really interesting to see like how what the format is going to be as like podcasting and on-demand stuff starts to take over and, and things like wifi becomes regular in cars uh, when anybody right, can just tune right, in right in the car right, on, right. over the internet. That's, it's going to change everything. And so maybe it won't be like morning radio uh, sports talk, but you will have those options locally and they will be supported and funded. The big thing, the, the other big part of it is getting advertisers on board with spending for more independent local content as opposed to just being safe and and putting their money into like iHeart or whatever the the local name is.
0: And I think right now that's the thing is it still feels safe for that advertiser to do that as opposed to going, well, I don't know, this is so niche Are they going to be able to pull it off with the niche? Well, yeah, if people are listening to it, then the niche works.
1: Well, it's not so much that they're going to be able to pull it off, I feel like, as it is that they don't want their ads played next to someone that's going to say something controversial or – what have you, you know, I mean, that's the big thing with Joe Rogan going from like YouTube to Spotify as he's felt like YouTube really dictates how they promote him based on who he's talking to and what he's talking about. And, uh, I think for a lot of individual creators, that's the big issue is trying to figure out how you can still make money. And the answer is probably not through advertisers or advertisers start viewing the world differently and realizing that, you know, just because uh, your ad happened to be playing on some idiot who said something doesn't mean the whole world is uh, going to remember that and quit buying your product.
0: That's right. You know? No, that,
1: that, that's right. So, I no, mean, that's- we, the cancel culture in our society is a big issue. No but, question. <laughs> and it's a part of that. But the other thing I think we have to realize is when you're outraged about everything all the time. You're also outraged about nothing. That's correct. No, and that's, so, that's, that's, that's well said. A lot of those things last for about 24 hours, and then everyone forgets. Like, yeah, because it's, it's, something, it's something new you're mad about. If you have a good product, people will keep buying. I mean, Chick fil A, you know, is is all types of crazy religious views that would be canceled and defunded and everything else, and had had people out in the streets. But they make them. a delicious chicken sandwich, and and their service is great. So and nobody their cares. Is great. That's right. People forget about it immediately as soon as the, it's lunchtime, and so that's the big thing I think advertisers are going to have to realize going forward as well. Yeah, agreed.
0: That's a good question. And like I said, it did work. It can work, and will work again. It's just hard to work in a in a conglomerate because
1: of, of totally finances. Yeah, that's absolutely. the same thing with like local news. Like newspapers would totally work if they were just local news organizations that didn't need to make tons of money for a CEO somewhere else. Correct, and and,
0: and it's not just the CEO. It's it's you're also propping up a failing paper or a failing news. Uh, you know, for the fact of iHeart, right? There, there's there's stations that probably aren't making money and failing, um, but WLW makes a bunch of money. So it's that by itself would still be a, a very functional station. But it, you're also propping up the losing part of the of the, of the corporation. So it's uh, a long answer to it, but I appreciate the question
1: no doubt all right well that is all we have all right good
0: stuff rick as always we will be back uh, next week and i think we said this last week i think by the time we're on next week podcast we will have a resolution to baseball so what say you in or out will they play or will they not play
1: yeah i think they're going to, to figure out a way to play I would agree with that. I think
0: there'll still be a lot of animosity, but I think they will figure out a way to play. Rick, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Thanks you guys for listening. Keep the questions coming. My favorite segment of the show, to be honest with you, Uh, for Rick Rory. I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly poker edition.